welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 119, Knowing Your Why Will Change Your Writing, coming to you on Thursday, January 3rd, 2019. I have to look at my notes because I can't believe it's 2019. I have to remember what year to say. <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. I hope you had a fabulous holiday season. We had snow the Sunday before Christmas, so I was so excited. John and I had, oh, like six or seven at least snowball fights on the way to and from church. Had a lot of fun. The snow didn't absolutely positively last bit of it go away until um, sometime Christmas Day because it had started raining a little bit, which is the usual weather apparently here in Melma, Sweden. But I was super duper duper excited. So, so happy. I was just watching it snow all day, I think. So that was awesome. And then our first ever uh, New Year's and fireworks in Sweden. That was super cool. And by cool, I mean, holy crap, it was cold. <laughs> it was so cold. We went to Vastrahamnen where we could see uh, Copenhagen and Melma. And we were trying to watch like 17 bits of fireworks all going off at once, which was awesome, except for that in order to see everything, you had to step out of, uh, away from the buildings. And oh my gosh, the wind was just so bitter. It was like bowling us over and blowing my hood off. And, but it was so, so, so fun. Uh, however, by the time all the fireworks had finally stopped, I don't know, maybe quarter after or 20 after something like that, after midnight, um, we all, um, me and John and our two friends, uh, Francis and Joyce, we were all looking at each other going, yeah, let's just go home and then we'll open up the champagne that we brought with us because, oh my gosh, it's just too cold to stand out here any longer. But it was really, really fun. This is the last year that everybody and anybody can just buy any fireworks you want, apparently, so I'm told, um, in either Sweden or Malma, I'm not exactly sure, but there were fireworks everywhere, 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 because everybody can buy them. But apparently next year, you won't be able to do that anymore. So I am glad that I got to see it this one time. Like I said, there had to have been at least 20 different sets of fireworks going off at midnight. So totally fun. But now it's not uh, holidays anymore. It's January 3rd. You might be on the last couple of days of your holiday, but my husband already went back to work. So um, it's time to get back into things. So I thought instead of like jumping right back into it, because I don't know about you, but my stomach is still too full of sweets and wine and delicious food to jump anywhere. <laughs> I thought maybe we'd ease slowly back into it. So I might have told you earlier, I did a two-hour live writing workshop at my church in November, and I recorded it so that I could think about how could I use it again. And so I'm going to show you, or if you're watching on YouTube, show you. Otherwise, um, I'm going to let you listen to the first part of it, where I spend a lot of time in some things that are motivating and inspiring to me, so I hope that they motivate and inspire you, on really thinking about why we write what we write. And if we can think about why we write it for the people that we're writing it for, the audience that we say is the people that we expect to read our writing, because if we can really get a handle on the why, we can go much deeper in the actual words, stories, um, how to, whatever it is that you're writing, and create just better 
better writing, better quality writing, but more than that, not just the writing, I mean, really reaching your audience better. That's the part that I'm hoping that you, that you really get out of this is knowing your why will help you to genuinely reach your real audience better. So here is the first part, just a portion of that uh, two hour live workshop that I did, and I hope you enjoy it. I will make the entire two hour workshop available to Patreon subscribers over the next few weeks. So I'll tell you more about that. But in the meantime, here you go. Get inspired and enjoy your week. So um, I want you to feel comfortable just doing whatever you need to do. Um, Take notes, close your eyes, don't. Whatever it is that makes you feel like you're able to think about, like Quentin said, the things that you haven't had time to think about for who knows how long. Okay, so who am I and why am I here? (laughs) Um, I have been writing since I was a little kid and my parents had a chalkboard and gave me chalk and um, said, go write a story. And now that I'm older, I realize that means, please do something where I can do something else for a minute. (laughs) But I I loved writing these stories. And the mom would come and read it and praise me and tell me I was wonderful. And then I would erase it and write another one. And that is my earliest memory of writing. I just loved it. Um, Later, um, I would be accused of lying. And then my grandmother reworded it fibbing. And I was very confused um, right around the 8 to 10 year old uh, age because I didn't understand what the difference was between telling a story and now I'm being told I'm a fibber or a liar or whatever. So one thing to kind of um, keep in mind is that if you are constantly thinking up stories or ideas or things that are um, making connections inside your head and, you're, and you think, oh, you know what? The easiest way to tell this would be to just say, this thing happened, and make it simple, a more simple version of the story. Um, That's not necessarily lying if your point is to tell a story that leads to truth. So I just kind of want to put that out there in case anybody else. Sometimes it's hard when you, um, you have things that are going on in your head, and then you talk to people, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm the only one. So until you find your tribe, your other people who have these other things, these stories and these thoughts and ideas and weird things, and you're constantly always thinking of something like, is that the third time I've seen that white panel van circle the block? Are they like kidnappers and they're waiting for their target? And then I think to myself, you watch too much TV. But this is kind of a normal creative process for somebody who's making up stories. So... Um, I kind of want to put out some of these things so that you can feel like if I say anything that, that you have ever felt, you can be like, oh, okay, this is cool. This is, this is normal. Now, of course, it's not normal to be um, like this woman. I think she lives in Oregon. I don't know where she lives now because she's in a prison. But she was writing a bunch of romance novels about, well, I don't know. She, she called herself a romance novelist. She was writing novels where... Um, uh, the husband was always being killed in this book, in this book, in this book. And then she killed her husband. And I was like, oh my gosh, was she just practicing? Like, I'm looking at the article going, is this real? Um, yeah, that's a real news site. So um, we don't want to be that person. So I just want you to know, that I, I do see the line in the sand here. <laughs> Uh, So I love to write. I love to teach. (laughs) Yeah, we don't want to practice for the felonies that we plan to commit in the future by calling them stories today. (laughs) Um, I love to write. I love to teach. I've been teaching since about 1998 or so. I have a master's degree in creative writing from UTS, Sydney. Woo! 
<laughs> and um, I have eight titles that I've published under my own company name. So um, in the traditional publishing world, uh, normally the idea is first you try to get an agent, the agent um, tries to get you a publisher, and then the book gets published by the publisher. Um, but since about 2010-ish, um, with the advent of even more digital technology and uh, Amazon created Kindle Direct Publishing and it allows you to publish your own work right onto the Amazon website. Um, and so after um, being told that my books didn't fit in this genre or this genre, they were sort of a mashup of two or three genres, I was like, you know what? I have a business degree. I can create a publishing company of my own and publish my own books. So that's what I did and have been doing since about 2011. Um, and when we get to the point where you have finished work that you want to put out in the world, this is something that if you're interested, I can help you with. Um, I, most of the classes that I teach now are on self-publishing and time management for writers. Um, I've taught lots of other things too, but those are the things I've been working on a lot now, simply because of the fact that we're in this kind of digital technology revolution of creative people. <laughs> You know, it started in music when people started being able to do their own music and post it themselves and sell it themselves, and then writers started doing the same thing. Now, the more important part is, who are you and why are you here? I hope that um, by the time we get to the end of our two hours, I can mostly inspire you and give you some ideas on things that you can do um, after you leave tonight. Uh, so first question is just try to get a feel for... Um, who's here and so I can speak to you and ignore some of my notes if necessary or whatever. Um, is anybody here um, actually finished, regardless of whether it's published, finished a book? Gotten to the end with the end, okay. Uh, how about uh, written an article or a blog, blog post? Excellent, great. How about a short story or a novel? Okay, good. Um, how many people are in the phase of, um, I think I have ideas, I'm not sure that I have ideas. And how many people are like, I have ideas, I just don't know for sure what to do with them. Okay, great, great. Then I'm pretty sure I can help all of you. <laughs> um, I really absolutely positively believe that we have a creative gift that comes from the creator. And I really absolutely believe that when God gives us a gift, he wants us to use it. And that the worldly view of use it or lose it is true in as much as like with an old tool, I don't know exactly what the weather is yet uh, in a Swedish winter, <laughs> but uh, if you were to accidentally leave Grandpa's hammer outside, bless you, and, um, and nobody sees it and winter comes by and spring gets here, by the time it's uncovered from the snow, uh, it will no longer look like it did before. It'll be rusty and um, you'll probably be in a lot of trouble. Does this sound like a story that is real? Maybe? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, the tool is just not going to um, be as, um, oh, you probably can explain this uh, example better than I can, but it's probably not going to have the same amount of um, precise, thank you, precision, yes, exactly. Um, it, besides the fact that it will look rusty, it actually just won't be as good quality a tool. And depending on what's happened to it, um, it may or may not be able to be repaired. In a similar way, I really believe that if we um, ignore our gifts over and over and over and over and over again, they just get uh, more rusty. And if you haven't ever used them, 
uh, it might be even a little bit more rusty. So I absolutely, and I was talking to Maria before we started, I absolutely believe that if you can feel the power of encouragement, inspiration, motivation from me, from each other, from other people around you, this is probably the primary thing that is going to help you to write and finish whatever it is that's on your heart. And eventually, um, that will develop into this other sort of inner voice that will help you to choose which idea is a good one, which idea um, maybe just needs to be set aside for right now. Maybe now is not the time for that idea. Maybe that idea will never come back around again because maybe you'll just have more better ideas as you go. Um, so there are all of the different um, media, mediums, <laughs> media, um, articles, blog posts, short stories, novels, um, books of um, how-to, books of encouragement, books of memoir. Um, but I think that the bigger question is why do you want to write what you want to, what you're thinking about writing? Charlie, can you um, bring up that YouTube video? This is um, Michael Jr. He is a Christian comedian in the United States. And this is just a clip from a video that I think is going to say better than I can. And comedy just kind of happens. Well, we're in Winston-Salem. I'm about to show you a clip. We're in Winston-Salem, and this guy, uh, I talked to him, and he said he's a teacher. And uh, it's, it's break time. We're sitting down. He said he was a teacher, and he teaches music. And I was like, well, uh, you know, can you sing? And um, check out what happens. So you're a musical director. Yes, sir. All right, so um, let me get a couple Let me get a couple bars of, like, uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Go ahead. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow. That where I could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version, is if, uh, your uncle just got out of jail. You got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know what I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time I asked him to sing, he knew why he was doing 
you understand your why, your what has more impact because you are walking in or towards your purpose. The key is to understand the why. That's a real gift when somebody else gets a standing ovation at your performance. Um, this is something that you can do with words. You can write really well. I learned to write very well, very young. But I wasn't writing powerful, emotional, um, life-changing stories or articles. I was writing good ones, often funny ones. Um, but I, I wasn't really getting what that man seemed to have understood from the beginning. At first, I thought Michael Jr. was asking him, give us the rap version of Amazing Grace. I was like, yeah, I want to hear that. <laughs> but that man knew exactly what Michael Jr. was talking about, even without him having to explain it. And I thought, wow, I, I didn't know what he was talking about at first. So understanding why you want to say what you want to say is actually going to be part of what gets you to sit down and write. It's going to be part of what helps you to um, choose to take more time with your writing, um, to look up a better word because you're like, yeah, that's pretty close to what I'm trying to say, and not stopping there, but trying to figure out, I feel like there's a better way to say this. Now, I'm a Christian. I think everybody in this room is a Christian. I have no idea about you know people who might be watching this video at some point in the future, but this is what I believe, that God has given us a way to be creative that will change other people's lives for the better. And in the process, it changes our life for the better. Now, the things that really affect us affect us mostly because they're changing our hearts first. And then our minds begin to follow. They're giving us a sense of emotion and, and helping us to key in to understanding like, oh yeah, I know how that feels. And, and then there's this emotional connection, but without being manipulative. Um, I don't know about you, I'm one of those people who I cry over everything. Oh my gosh, if somebody else is crying, I cry. I cry at a really good commercial. Like, give me a really good commercial around Christmas, you know, with puppies and little kids and little kids on grandparents' laps and Oh my gosh, I'm like, that's just so amazing. I don't even know what it was for. Or, that's, that's the most beautiful commercial. I absolutely need a BMW too. <laughs> um, so there's a difference between, and we all know it, there's a difference between manipulating people to get them to feel what you want them to feel, which words and images, we all know it. Uh, we know it. Advertisers know it. Um, politicians know it. People in the pulpit know it. Um, you could use words and images to manipulate people, to force them to go where you want them to go. But if you can get to the heart and find a way to connect with the other person reading, in this case we're talking, talking about written words, if you can connect with the person who's reading, then you have a much greater impact. And the actual words that you're writing will be less important than what the reader is feeling. Now, just to kind of give you an example, um, if I wanted to try to force you to feel strong emotions uh, about me and my life, I could tell you that I had an abusive father who left when I was 12. I could tell you that my family and I miraculously escaped from a burning building. 
I can tell you that I was a victim of date rape as a teenager and never told anyone because he was a cop. I could say that I almost drowned twice, and the second time is while I was in the U.S. Marine Corps, and someone was shouting at me, you better get out because I'm not coming in there. I could tell you that I almost committed suicide, and I could tell you that story in a really funny way and add, but I couldn't do it because the river smelled so bad. I, I just didn't think that I could stand it long enough to, to actually drown. But if I don't have any reason why to tell you this, then I'm just trying to make you feel some emotions that I know that you probably will by listening to sad, horrible, funny stories. Okay, it's only funny if you understand how really bad that river smelled. <laughs> it was awful. Um, in fact, that river might have saved other people's lives by now, too. I would think so. But if I don't have a good reason for telling these stories, then I am manipulating to some degree the reader of whatever it is that I'm writing. But if I can think of a really good reason, so for instance, several of these stories I've talked about to people in um, small groups, two or three, or one-on-one, -on -one, because the other person needed to know that they weren't the only person who felt this way or went through this thing, and that is absolutely the appropriate place for these words. So where is the appropriate place for your words for the reader that you're trying to reach? I really believe that there are times when the Holy Spirit just moves our heart to start writing something, and maybe we don't always know that now is the time to write because by the time we're done with it, the reader will have appeared who needs to read it. But there's a certain amount of being really serious about this stuff, and I am, and a certain amount of just trying to let it flow, be a little playful with it, um, I can't imagine that God was really serious when he made the platypus. I mean, what is with that? On the one hand, he's cuddly. On the other hand, he has claws that are like so sharp that the handlers and zoos have to wear a glove to pick up and, and manipulate platypuses. And really, that mouth, like who can understand God? Why, why does the platypus need that mouth? Because all the other fish and all the other animals in the water have got to be laughing. So there's also a certain amount of that that I feel is important to, um, to kind of keep in mind when you're writing that sometimes, um, like, being not so serious can be a good thing. I really personally believe, and I'm not going to try to force you and manipulate you to believe what I believe, but I am going to tell you that I really, really believe that changing lives is what words are all about. I believe this about the written word, spoken word. I believe that the um, TV shows and movies and TV commercials that we watch, um, I think that all of them could have the possibility of moving us in a way that changes us. Now, sometimes it's a very practical but necessary change. So, for instance, if someone reads your article on how to post pictures on Instagram, that's probably going to be a relatively short piece. It probably is not going to take you a terribly long time to write it. But if somebody doesn't know how to do it and they're looking for a how-to on how to post pictures on Instagram, if they can find your article and follow your directions and they go from not being able to to being able to, then you have changed their life in a good way, in a way that they wanted and needed. But if they couldn't follow your directions, 
or your writing was rambling and it kind of like took off in a couple of other directions as well. And if the directions weren't in the right order, if it's not interesting and they can't understand it, they're not even going to finish the article. In which case, you spent this time writing an article that did not give the desired effect, which was to help and change someone's life with something that they needed. Now, there's a whole bunch of nuances to this. And the reason why I'm starting with these things is because I really think that no matter if you write fiction or nonfiction, um, most of this that I'm talking about right now, or possibly all of it, is going to um, be effective for helping you be, to be a better writer no matter what you write. Okay, so for instance, if someone reads your blog post, now that I know, <laughs> I don't know how I managed to miss this, but now that I know that one of our lovely friends is a newlywed, it's all I can think of. <laughs> So let's say I wanted to write an article on how you can be newlywed happy 10 or 20 or 40 years into your marriage. Okay, let's say I told the story in a fun and interesting way that was about my romance, but that also uh, I wove in, in a, um, in a, let's say, how am I trying to say it? Like an interesting, but not a step one, step two, step three. Like as part of the story, wove in tips about what you can do to keep your marriage in uh, closer to that dating and newlywed state. This would probably give the reader some good takeaways that they can decide whether or not they can use in their own life. But if I write it that, hey, I've been married 29 years, trust me, I know what I'm doing, she just listen to me, I'm not going to try to make it interesting or fun or in any way amuse you, I'm just going to tell you this is what you should do, trust me, just do it. You would have to have a really unique writer's voice that actually your attitude was making people laugh to make anyone really want to take a lot of notice out of something where you're writing a know-it-all article. People don't like know-it-alls. People don't really like them when they're reading them. Um, we, we know that people walk away from them as soon as they can at a party, right? Okay, so say you want to write fiction. Like, how does the supply in this point? Because now we're talking about made-up stories. It's not true at all, right? How could it possibly change anyone's life to read my funny romances or my superhero books, which, by the way, are about a newlywed couple? <laughs> how could that do any useful good thing in the world? And I actually had, um, a, like, a 92-year-old Christian woman who used to own a Christian bookstore in the United States uh, asked me how I could waste God's gift by making up things that weren't true when the Bible was all about truth. And then I, I had to have been the Holy Spirit because I wasn't smart enough to think of it at the time. I was like, well, Jesus told parables, and these are just really long, extended parables, I guess. And then she was like, hmm, okay. I, I guess I can go with that. <laughs> so, um, so it's still hard, though. My older sister, Bonnie, is an occupational therapist. She owns a therapeutic riding facility, which means that she's got around 15 horses on about, I don't know, 30-ish acres and probably 200 clients in various ages from mm, toddler age to, I don't even know how old the oldest one would be, but probably at least in their 60s because I can think of some people and I know how old they are, um, who have all different sorts of things going on in their lives from muscular dystrophy to cerebral palsy to car accident to uh, wounded in a war, all sorts of things. 
And the way that um, she does their occupational therapy, their physical therapy, is with the horses, on the horses, and a lot of the emotional healing is coming by um, the person being responsible to take care of their own horse that day. And so, you know, just the brushing, and, and it's all totally based on the capabilities the capability is what the person can actually really do, even if they don't know that they can do it and they don't believe that they can do it. So I have seen some amazing things at this farm. And um, I think my sister is heroic. <laughs> She's really just using her gifts. But when you look at her, you're like, wow, that's just amazing. And then I think, but I write romance novels, so I, I'm a loser. <laughs> and then I was saying something like that, but not too much, because I really didn't know the people very well at my church in Sydney, and this woman that I really didn't know, and I didn't really know what she did, she was just a sister of someone else that I knew, she said, no, I am a ICU pediatric nurse, so I work with babies all day who might die. And when one of the babies does die, even if I know it's coming, it really, really hurts. And the first thing that I wanna do when I get home is either turn on the TV to something funny or pick up a book that's gonna take me someplace far away from a place where babies die. I was just floored. I was like, I have a purpose. And as much as I was like psyched and happy at that moment, like it really made me think, no matter what we write, no matter if it gets published or doesn't, or who reads it, or what we're doing with it, this is important work. It really is. You have no idea if somebody is just uh, beta reading your work. So reading it to see if it all makes sense and give you feedback and that sort of thing. You might be affecting that person's life, regardless of what happens later with the book. It's changing one world at a time, one person at a time. And just because you're writing a made-up story, if how many people think that they might be um, doing some fiction? Couple? Okay. See, <laughs> sometimes you get into this place where you're like, oh. Look at all the people writing really important stuff around me, and I'm writing fiction, made-up stories. It's not about the truth. But think about all the novels that you've read that do have an element of truth that's really moved you. Um, fantasy novels, you know, where somebody gives up their life to save the village. That's, that's amazing. That's, that's a Christ story in that, in that little piece. I'm not saying that all the dragons and swords and sorcery, you know, are also necessarily um, somewhere in the Bible I can find an example, but I am saying that there are places in your story where you are putting in truth with a capital T. And some people don't read nonfiction, they read fiction. And some people don't read fiction, they read nonfiction. And some people, you know, read just about everything, including the cereal box. But these are all the kinds of people that you can affect. And these are some of the reasons why you might choose to think, I'm going to remember this part, you know, this thing, whatever it is that, that's affecting you right now. I'm going to remember this, and this is going to be part of my reason, part of my why. Okay, but how do you know if you're doing it right? I mean, that's what we all want to know, right? Well, what if I'm not even doing it right? Okay, did it change anyone who read it? Did anyone say, that made me laugh out loud. And you're like, thank goodness, because it was supposed to be funny. <laughs> How many people said, um, well, I, I had no idea that Christianity was like that. I thought Christianity was about hypocrites and people who, you know, aren't willing to just stand up and say, I don't know what I'm doing. 
and I'm going to blame it on someone else. Uh, and then they read your work, and they're like, oh, I, I didn't realize that the church is for people who don't know where they're going because there is someone who can help them find the way. Oh, okay, well, that's, that's something I hadn't thought of before. If anybody tells you that reading your work, they understood the thing that you were trying to say, then your work is succeeding. Now, a lot of times you're doing a lot of editing up until you get to that point. So it's really hard when the very first time you write your first piece and you hand it to a friend and you're thinking, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to like this. And the friend is like, eh, it's really painful because I've done it lots of times. Lots of my first drafts have been, meh. But then you get the feedback. So, for instance, the first book that I that I published, um, the uh, the first, oh my gosh, first probably three iterations of this book um, were just like all the romance novels on the shelf. And one of the things that you were told, if you want to write in this genre, you read all the books that are published in that genre, and then you'll know what publishers buy. And so I wrote something that was just like it. But it was so just like it that it was just, oh, yeah, just yawn-worthy. Because it was exactly like everything else. Nothing about it made it stand out. And then one of my friends said, have you ever heard of this thing called chiclet, which I had not heard of? Um, it's in a first-person voice. So I, I'm the main character instead of she. And it's very snarky and sarcastic and very self-deprecating humor. And, um, and it, she tells kind of like all of the thoughts in her head. And I thought, well, if there were no rules about writing, that's what I would write. That's John. I tell all the thoughts in my head. <laughs> How fun to be able to just write them all down and somebody would like that. The next version that I wrote, she sent it to her agent and her agent um, put me on her, her, her round of people. What am I trying to say? I got an agent just from that one piece of feedback. So the first drafts and the second drafts and the third drafts, not so much. And then eventually you get to that point where you're suddenly like, this is exactly what I wanted to say. And somebody else reads it and said, yes, that's exactly what, what would move me to whatever your point was. So far, so good? All right. Now, what if you think of this advice and you think, and then I'll get an agent and a publisher. Well, um, Chicklet died while my book was still with my agent, and it never did get published by a publishing company. So part of what I want you to, what I want to encourage you with is, again, coming back to your why. So perhaps um, you really strongly believe that God has given you a gift that you need to use. And perhaps you're like, that's not really the way that I'm looking at it. I just always wanted to do it, and I wanted to know how to start. No problem. But if you get to the point where you're feeling disappointed and distracted and everything sounds like a better idea than writing and everything seems way more important. I'll write tomorrow because of course I have to do this thing. If you can remember that there is at least one person out there who wants to read what you want to say and can be changed by it, then that's the person that you need to write for. It will help you to focus your writing in a way that will make it it's hard to explain because it feels like magic to me. <laughs> Let me give you an example. 
Um, when I write my romantic comedies, my friend Rachel, who lives in Melbourne, Australia, she just thinks they're hysterical, which I love, of course. <laughs> and it seems like no matter what I write, uh, you know, by the time I get past the first draft, when I get to the point where now I, I've really polished it and it's good stuff, I give it to Rachel. If she laughs, it's golden. I'm ready. That book, to me, is done what it needs to do. And so when I'm writing it, I learn to start thinking about what would Rachel think is funny? Would Rachel think this, this little joke that I want to make is funny? Mm, I don't know. I'm not even sure if it translates, you know, across outside of America or whatever. Or um, would she think that it, it is funny if I do sarcasm here? Or would she think he's just being a jerk because I do sarcasm here? So when you can think of the one person, even if they're a pretend person, who this is the exact right person to read this particular book, article, short story, blog, that will really help you focus, no matter if you're writing fiction or nonfiction. Um, in online marketing, uh, this has been very popular for many years, I don't know, probably at least 10 years, about creating your avatar. So... This is a weird thing for me because my husband worked on the movie Avatar. And then there's Avatar The Last Airbender, which is like the most popular cartoon. It's not either of those things. <laughs> so, well, actually, both of them use the word correctly. It's just that, anyway. <laughs> so the Avatar is the imaginary or real person who you know everything about this person. You know what they like, what their struggles are, what they find funny, what hurts. Um, you know where they're at in their life regarding marriage and kids and because all of those things influence uh, what we read, what we have time to read, what we are able to um, connect with. So um, there's a limit to how much connection that I could do when I was younger about anybody who had kids. And to this day, I just am not at all interested in reading a romance novel about a second chance romance where somebody is, you know, 35 or 45 or 55 and they're, they're finally, you know, marrying the, the new man of their dreams and they're divorced. And I'm like, I, I don't want to read about divorced people. It's just not my thing at all. I'm not interested at all. I'm not the right audience for that particular story, even though I might be part of that author's audience. Okay, is this helping you to kind of start to see if you could find a real or pretend idea of the perfect person to write for, your words are actually going to be um, more powerful and more kind of laser focused on what's going to work best. And your first draft is going to be better and you'll be liking your writing a little bit better, which will, again, help you to sit down more often and, and actually do it. Now, um, we talk about the fruits of the Spirit in, in church, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Um, these are actually really interesting qualities that you might consider for whatever you're writing. Because if you're writing something um, about suicide, you really want to be gentle with your audience. If, if it's an audience who, um, who has ever experienced the idea of maybe taking their life. Um, you definitely want to uh, be writing with a sense of peace. If you're writing to new mothers who are trying to cope with um, maybe a, a first baby who's colicky or something like that. 
You want to write in such a way that it's not like, do this, do this, do this. Like, they already have so much going on in their heads. You need to, like, give them a sense of, you're okay, the baby's okay, you're going to get through this. So a more kind of peaceful feel. I really think that this is how you bring in truth with a big T. And, and just in case I'm not being totally clear, let me just explain. Um, a story about getting away with murder is truth with a little T. We know that this has happened. Probably doesn't happen nearly as much as the TV makes it sound like, or maybe it has, I don't know. But a story about killing someone, being forgiven by their family, and eventually finding redemption and permanent change, that's truth with a big T. That's like the real way that the universe and God's hand in it really does work. So a story about a ship going down in World War II and some of the men drowning and some of them surviving would be truth with a little t. It's, um, it's the facts, and it really did happen that way. It actually probably happened that way more often than we want to know also. But a story about a ship going down and the four chaplains on board giving up their life jackets so that just four more men could live. And then those men standing there on the deck, joining hands and praying and singing hymns while the ship sinks and a whole bunch of other men know that they're going to die because there weren't enough life rafts and there weren't enough life jackets. And those four men not only saving four, but giving some sense of peace and some kind of hope, even though it would be hard to imagine, you know, what sort of hope you might find if you're in a situation where maybe you don't believe that there's any life after death and you're going to die in the next few minutes. But that's a story. That's truth with a big T. That's, that's the story of giving up your life for someone else. So if you can look at some of the big picture ideas, it will help you focus no matter what you write because it's the big picture that matters. If you know who you're writing for and why, then the how, which is this next part, is going to be much less intimidating. Let me just... Um...